1: If it's true that winning ugly is the sign of a good team, then Arsenal are surely the best team in all of England. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We've got a great podcast lined up. We're going to do things a little bit differently. We'll do the whole chat, the uh, entire discussion up front before the stats section. Scott will come in at the end uh, with his stats section so we don't break up what I think will be a spectacular discussion of what was maybe not a spectacular performance. Uh, and here to discuss it is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at My pants. Hello, Paz. Yep, great. Off to a flyer there. Thanks, Paz. Good to talk to you as always. Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim.
2: Dramatic pause for effects. Hello there.
1: Usually it's Clive that forgets to undo <laughs> the mute button, but but Paul, I guess, is starstruck because also joining us uh, from his perch high atop the, the mountain of Arsenal content is uh, Andrew. You can find him on Twitter, at arsblog. in fact. Hello, Andrew.
3: Hey, Elliot. How are you?
1: Ah, good. Good to chat with you. And uh, we are going to have to come up with something to discuss because the performance at the Emirates on Sunday was maybe not the finest. And Andrew, I'll just start with you with sort of a philosophical question. I think... Uh, I have been told in nice and not so nice terms that I am a, um, how shall I put this, moaning cunt on Twitter, Uh, but I'm, I'm always torn, you don't have to agree with that, by the way, but I'm always torn when it comes to breaking down a performance that results in three points but maybe isn't a vintage Arsenal performance because there are always people that are going to say, hey, a win is a win, you know, why can't you be happy, you should be upbeat about these things, philosophically, sort of what's your... Attitude towards discussing a game where we did get three points and did keep a clean sheet and did score two goals But have to concede that it wasn't necessarily a vintage performance
3: I think the the thing that crosses my mind is that we're fans and we're supporters and you know, we're Quite privileged in a way to do what we do in terms of podcasts and and uh, have an audience and people to talk to and people For some reason like to listen to what it is that we say speak for yourself Uh, yeah, well, look, <laughs> what I my, my my overriding feeling is is that there are people out there who feel that uh, analysis, or criticism, or discussion of things which don't go wrong is somehow uh, anathema to being a fan or a supporter, which I, I just don't agree with. You can play terribly and win a game. But you—we're we're not cheerleaders, right? We're not there just to cheerlead and say, "Yay, we've won!" That's it. You know, life would be very boring if—if if that was as far as we took any discussion. So and I, I, think, I look
1: terrible in a skirt, by the way.
3: So. Well, yeah. Well, look, I can imagine, but I, <laughs> I think no. we have to be able to—we have to be able to say, "This was good, that was bad," without being immediately cast into the into the fires of um, how shall I put this? You know, the you're you're somehow a negative force which is you know sucking the life out of arsenal simply because you're discussing those things so for me it's it's really easy I can see both sides of it yes we won I'm delighted we won but if things aren't right let's talk about the things that aren't right because those actually are probably the most interesting things about being a fan you know if you play brilliantly it's great and you can say this was fantastic this was fantastic but maybe it doesn't take an awful lot to work out why that happened, Whereas, if you're trying to figure out what a system is, what the process is, why aren't we why aren't we clicking necessarily in the in the final third? what's wrong with our defense that isn't a five foot ten bearded German, you know those things, <laughs> um you know, they're worthy of discussion, and we can do that without being um we're not we're not uh, just being critical for the sake of being critical. We're just talking about them because they're things that we should talk about,
1: yeah, I, I think that's well put. and ultimately, I mean, I I do think that, you know, look, we we got the three points. Discussing the things that went wrong in the game aren't going to take the three points away from us. So, you know, I don't think it can hurt. I I also think, Tim, that there is a fair debate to be had about process versus outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, you you look at United last season. I can't help but think of them. And the underlying numbers were terrible. They were a team that did not perform well. And De Gea really saved them and, and got them into the top four almost on his own brilliance. And you had a lot of United fans that I saw, you know, giving it large about, hey, we're in the top four, we're in the Champions League, you know, you know, go tell us we were poor from your perch on Thursdays and all that. But at the end of the day, we're seeing now that that poor process is resulting in bad outcomes, and it's it's what you might call uh, regression, right? The regressing mm. mean, so to speak. So, I mean, to what extent for you is the process a worry here? I guess if I had to ask you what the system we were trying to play was, explain for me, as certainly in the first half, what was the system? What was the approach? Because I, <laughs> other than sort of a lot of horizontal passing, which we've seen, I, I couldn't really make out what we were trying to do.
2: No, neither could I. And that's obviously been a real theme of the season so far. I am still worried about the process. Delighted with the results recently, of course. But I, I still have a lot of concerns about the process. And um, I know we said before this game that Everton would be quite a good gauge for where we actually are because they're not, brilliant or terrible like all the other teams we've played so far but i I don't know i was still performance wise i was still not really sated by this at all Um, and i still tend to think if we play anyone good um (laughs) that this won't that this won't do basically because what we're doing at the moment is i don't know whether this is by accident or design but it's goals that are changing games for us at the moment it's not something well, obviously scoring a goal is something that we do but do you know what I mean it's not like um it's not a tactical active... shift
1: or an approach that yeah. we're taking that's that's giving us the impetus in the game
2: exactly exactly and even Torreira, you know he's come on at halftime a few times and he's definitely made a difference but what's made a difference has been a goal and usually it's been um a, a moment of individual it's been an individual feat so you know granite jacker spank spanking a free kick into the top corner from 30 yards and you know lacazette spanking one into the top corner from slightly closer in but no less impressive a goal when he's just about to come off as well um it it still kind of feels like but then a uh, We all know goals change games, etc., etc. But I I don't understand what it is about the goals that then makes things seem to click for at least 15 or 20 minutes. Um, Whether that's broadly just a confidence thing, or whether um, I I tend to think what it probably is is the individuals we have going forward are so talented that even though we're probably only getting 70 to 80% out of each of them, that's kind of enough against most teams um, because they're all really good. Well, but. let me
1: ask you this, actually. Would it be charitable to suggest that playing a little more conservatively early in the hopes that our supremely talented players will get us an opening goal, mm. what's changing the game is we've been playing weaker teams, and weaker teams are going to sit in and look to counter. But once you get that mm. 1-0 lead, the pressure is on them to take the game to you a little more, which yep. probably suits us. So maybe, is it possible, and and this may be the most charitable interpretation, but that Emery is saying okay, we're not great defensively. We're going to play a little more conservatively <clears throat> early because falling behind is a- absolutely the worst-case scenario for us. Then we have yeah, to push yeah. up more. We have to attack more. We're more vulnerable to the counter. So we'll keep it tight. We'll try to get an opening goal. And when we do that, that will shift the pattern of play in our favor. I mean, is that is that overly charitable or is that maybe where his head's at right now?
2: I think that's where his head's at, yes. He's used the phrase, even before um, his first game, he used the phrase about staying in the game for 90 minutes and um i kind of uh, initially i took that purely physically i i i took that as a kind of i'm going to work them hard so that they can run for 90 minutes and and work hard but actually it kind of i don't know whether this is just a kind of confirmation bias because of the way the games have gone but it, it kind of feels like it's shaking out that um, his his plan is to stay in the game. And I, I think that's maybe somewhere where you can say we've improved a bit in terms of even when we are in a bit of a lull, um, we stay in the game. And I suppose a, a, a charitable interpretation would be that we control the big moments, that we've been fairly clinical, we take the chances when they come. Um, I don't know if there's a little bit of... See, I'm tempted to say another thing that Emery has identifiably changed is that he's quite set on having that double pivot. So it's not just Granite Xhaka with um, you know, the freeform Space Jazz midfield in front of him. He does have <laughs> like an identifiable partner with some defensive acumen, uh, be that Guendouzi or Torreira. So there's a part of me that, w- that kind of thinks, well, maybe that you know giveth and taketh away in terms of our attacking uh, acumen versus you know being a bit more solid but then I kind of look at us and think but are we more solid um it doesn't really feel like we are and Petr Cech is is making a lot of saves it it wasn't just that this was his finest performance of the season I'm so sure we'll talk about him later but I think generally he's played very well in all of our games um this season it's it's just um you know a a couple of mistakes with the feet but I think he's been pretty exemplary, um, actually, those aberrations aside. So I, I don't know. There's, there seems to be a lot going on and nothing going on all at the same time. And it's kind of frustrating. It's a really weird position for us to be in just to wrap up in terms of you You really want to say, well, this, this doesn't look great yet. But then you have to stop yourself because it's so early in, uh, you know, the Emery Project. And then you also want to say this doesn't look great, but then you stop yourself because we're winning. So, like, you've got this kind of almost like Heat on the back of your neck that makes you want to criticise the process, but then there's just a couple of little voices in your head that stop you, and it's like it's it's a, it's like we're kind of suspended um, at the moment, kind of looking on and having to bite our tongues a bit. That um that voice in my head must be stuck in traffic because
1: it hasn't arri- it hasn't <laughs> arrived yet. So don't worry about me, I'm fine. I think you, you know to to your point though. I absolutely believe we're early in the Emory process. I think what would help me more is if I saw a little bit clearer what the process was, right? So, like, in those first two games, it was clear what we were trying to do. We just were playing teams that, well, in the case of City, was was better than us, and we weren't able to execute as well as they were. In the case of Chelsea, we only did it for a half for some reason, which we debated hotly after that, but... In these games against the weaker teams, that, that's that been less clear to me, and I think that's the problem. If I could see like, oh, it's clear, we're a pressing team now and that's what we do, mm and it's still taking time to come together okay but that doesn't seem to be what we do so i'm i'm trying to figure that out and i'm sure uh emory is to some extent too and we've got plenty of games still to see so i i guess patience is a virtue that i will have to learn to adopt um paul if you weren't kidding about just being an audience member on this podcast we'll Woo-hoo. give you a, a, oh yeah there he is we'll give him a quick word here um i assure you it'll just be quick listener but you uh i'll, I'll give you a chance to sort of uh, beat your chest here you did say, uh, after the Newcastle match, that one of the things that you noticed was that after Torreira came in at halftime, for the 15 minutes that followed, Shaka was incredibly busy as a passer, and that it really unleashed him to be the distributor, to be the one who broke the lines and and built the play. And he dominated the passing stats in this game, starting with Torreira alongside him. So it was the biggest observation you can make from Torreira's start, that it gave uh, Shaka that responsibility to really be the distributor and the the fulcrum for our midfield?
4: Yeah, I think so. And the period of the game in which we looked hottest um, was the 15 minutes leading into the two goals. And again, we scored two goals in three minutes. And if you go back and look at that section, I mean, you can always get into correlation and causation. But once again, he's heading towards 23% or something of all our passes in the period leading up to that, even though he's not synonymous with the two goals, he is the guy who sets the rhythm in terms of passing. It's kind of like goals coming once he hits like, it's like a takeoff velocity. Velocity Once he gets over the 20, 21, 22% in passing, it seems like there's a goal incoming. And again, maybe that's, that's a correlation causation thing, but certainly he was hot during that period. I think the other adjustment, that needs to be made you know it's great we've got Torreira started with uh, Chaka beside him um, the other thing that needs to happen is somebody needs to tell Chaka not to pick up the ball from the center backs because we've got Torreira there um, it feels like the strategy is to use uh, Chaka as a, a goat staked out in the clearing for their uh, attack their press and their attack to come after us <laughs> yeah they targeted so. him big time
1: well, well, yeah. let me ask you about that just super quick. I mean, I, I pointed out that he was, you know, very vulnerable to the press, and some people are like, "Oh, well, look at the pressure he's getting the ball under." And we touched on this on the halftime show. But you know, if you watch teams that play out from the back, uh, like Sarri's Chelsea, for example, they expect to be under pressure, under intense pressure, yeah. and they have to be able to cleanly distribute or wriggle out of that pressure so that you can break the press. The whole idea of playing out from the back is to suck that pressure in and then play around it. So. Sure. As far as being played in under pressure, I know there was that one example where uh, Czech gave it to him and he kind of dawdled on the ball and gave it away and, and Everton almost got a goal from that. I mean, is is Shaka's vulnerability to the press a big problem for us trying to play out that way?
4: Yeah, and I think uh, we both saw kind of quite a bit of a counter argument on the Twitters about how we shouldn't have given Shaka the ball in this position or in that position. But that's actually exactly the spider's web you're looking to set in a good team able to handle the press. You want to suck them, you want them to come after you so you can ping, ping, ping it and go past them. And and Torreira seems to be the guy who can move it at that kind of speed, like Santi used to be able to. Chaka quite the opposite. He seems to be the signal for their press, which is not really how it's supposed to work. Um, So half of it right, we are luring them in, uh, and you know, yeah.
1: and you went yeah. again. So clearly, you have a loose mic cable, and now we have uh, settled on the problem. It also gives me a chance to shift the discussion back to Andrew. So I will allow you to correct that as we do. Um, so, Andrew, one of the things that you know why I, I think all of us were excited to see this season was the attacking talent that we had all on the pitch together Ramsey, Ozil, Lacazette, Obameyang. And I think there were a lot of people, myself included, who opined that anything we achieved this season would be built around what we could get from from all of that attacking talent. And yet, it now appears that the problem with all that attacking talent is we can't seem to get it on the pitch in a way that maximizes their capabilities. And certainly, Ramsey and Ozil seem the poorer for it. Um, for you, are you as disappointed, maybe disappointed isn't the word you want to choose, but uh, struggling to see the benefits of using Ozil and Ramsey this way? And what, what do you think is the right way to try to get them more involved in the game?
3: Well, that is the... $64,000 question. Um, I think it, it's been strange, hasn't it? Because you look at Yang on the left and you feel like that's not where you get the best out of him. But he scored again yesterday. He scored a lot of goals from the left-hand side since he arrived. He played out there w- when Arsene Wenger was manager in his last few games. Uh Lacazette, he's shown his value as a center forward. I think that's uh, an absolutely outstanding goal that he scored, a piece of individual quality that set us apart from Everton. You know, it wasn't it didn't feel like a game where teamwork was going to open up Everton and provide the chances, which is, you know, it's kind of strange. I think you touched on the first two games, and in particular, that 15-20 minutes against Chelsea where we had such success moving the ball via our fullbacks and making cutbacks, which provided really good chances in front of the Chelsea goal, you felt that was kind of the blueprint of what we were trying to do from an attacking uh, point of view this season. And we haven't really seen that a great deal since. So I'm struggling to, to find the balance in the way that the team is set up from an attacking point of view. Uh, I think we've got, as Tim said, we've got the midfield in terms of um, personnel. We'll probably see Torreira and Xhaka for, for quite a while. We'll see them get a run of games. But it's that front four, I think, which feels imbalanced to me, and I'm not sure quite how you fix it. You know, Ramsey was, I think, was quite poor yesterday, but he still created three chances for us. And got uh, two assists. Two,
1: I mean, one got two pretty assists. dubious assist.
3: <laughs> no, no, I take issue with that. I think that was an absolutely fantastic piece of play. Yeah. Oh, sure,
1: it's just miles offside, is all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. The okay, play is sorry. Great, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the improvisation to, to put the ball behind him to Aubameyang was absolutely superb. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, I said so on Twitter. It's just, it's just it, obviously, and I love an offside goal. I mean, of course. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, in, in uh, another day, it's not allowed. <laughs>
3: Of course. No, I get that. I get that. uh, But overall, I didn't think he was that great, but he he created a chance for Lacazette in the first half, which is probably our most dangerous position to get in in the first half, and Lacazette took a touch and he he got robbed. So it's a a difficult thing because he's got all these things to try and figure out, like Aubameyang maybe isn't that comfortable on the left, but when he's playing the two of them together, they both scored, so that's a positive. So, okay, we go with that. The one I think that is is really interesting is Ozil and it feels to me like there's just something more going on with Mesut Ozil than we know or that we understand or that goes beyond where he's being asked to play and the role that he's being asked to play because he has played on that right-hand side before Um, not for any great length of time but he has played there before and He's always been much more involved in the games than he than he was yesterday and than he has been this season. And, you know, I'm not one to sort of read a huge amount into, into body language and Ozil's body language in particular. You could write a book on it. People will probably write theses on this guy in the future about the way that he approaches the game. But there was one moment yesterday, I can't remember what it was, where he, he sort of was trying to win the ball back over near the touchline and it all just looked completely half-hearted like he was going through the motions and maybe it was just that particular piece of play I don't know but it just feels to me like there's something going on with him that isn't quite right and I think that's being reflected in his performances um and I think Emery's in a difficult position where he might need to think about doing something different but by doing something different he might exacerbate whatever this issue is with Mesut Ozil and his confidence. So. It's a a tricky situation for him. I think what what has been beneficial is the fact that we've had a relatively friendly run of fixtures. Ozil has scored twice in those. Um, But I I think he's going to have to come to a decision about Ramsey and Ozil sooner rather than later. As soon as we face higher-quality opposition, I think that's going to be an either-or situation.
1: Yeah, and, and it's kind of ironic. I mean, this goes back to the same thing we were talking about with the result, which is Ozo's really struggling, but he's scored recently, and Ramsey's really struggling. He had two assists on the day, and Yang doesn't look comfortable on the left wing. He's got, three, what, three goals in the last two games, or four four and four. and You know, I mean, it's hard, because on the one hand, you don't want to avoid discussing the process, but on the other hand, when the outcome is working for you you can overthink these things so you have to find a balance for it i what i will say about ozil is even putting aside the debate about body language andrew like there were several situations yesterday put, put aside whether he likes playing on the right or he doesn't or this or that there were situations where you would expect mess at ozil to thrive there were a couple counter attack situations that he didn't execute well there was the one where uh obama yang does score where ozil Kind of almost screwed that up for us. There was one. Where I think
3: he should have had a shot there. I think he, you know, he uh, yeah, should have done something else.
1: Sean. Yeah. <laughs> there was another one where he he's driving straight through the middle of the pitch. It was a counterattack, and he tried to put split the center backs to have whoever yeah. was on the left run onto it. But the pass mm. was badly weighted. It was easily cut out. I mean, those aren't body language issues or positioning issues. He's just not executing. His touch doesn't look right. I mean, I, you don't want to speculate about with what happened in Germany and things like that. But I I definitely think something is wrong. I mean, as far as you know him versus Ramsey. If one of them had to sit out, would you move Ozil to the ten and and sit Ramsey out, or would you leave Ramsey where he is and let Ozil rest for a bit? Um, if it if it came down to that, I know there are other options, but
3: it might depend on who we're playing. You know, I think it, you could take it on a game by game basis. I think there might be opposition where Ozil is much more suited to that role and Ramsey might be more suited to to a role. You know, if we were going away from home to Manchester United or, or to Tottenham or to uh, Manchester City, you might say that Ramsey is better uh, suited to that because he's he's got a better engine. He's probably a bit more uh, harder running, um, could could uh, offer you some more discipline in that area if you can get that out of Aaron Ramsey. And Mesut Ozil away from home hasn't always been that effective. So, um I would, I would take it on a game-by-game game basis, but I do wonder as well if the fact that Ramsey's contract situation uh, means that we probably ought to put our eggs in the basket of the guy who at least has committed to the club, rather than building something around a guy who, at this point, looks like he's going to leave.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. you got a guy on 300-plus thousand a week, and he's here for a while, so you have to mm. make him work. I mean, if Ramsey's leaving, you certainly don't want to upset the the players that are here long-term to try to squeeze him in. So, Tim, um, you know, there's a couple of things here, and the first one, you know, for, for me, is just the question of this this striker situation, and obviously, mm. th- this is where you have to be careful, right? Because there are a lot of hills I've been willing to die on over the years, <coughs> Giroud, <laughs> Um and here I am back at the striker hill, wanting to die on it yet again for some reason. Um, I, I'm i an Aubameyang guy. I can't help that. I mean, we have taken this .9 XG per 90 striker and turned him into a .2 XG per 90 winger. And I don't know that he looks super comfortable out there. Late in the game, uh, before he was substituted, he's standing on the left touch line delivering crosses. I don't think anybody's idea of what his contribution should be is that he did score a goal from dead center of the box on a counterattack, which is exactly what you mm-hmm. want to see. I I can't help feel that we're not getting the most out of him. I also don't think this was vintage Lacazette before he powers one in off the right post. So, I mean, another game under our belts of seeing Lacazette Central and Aubameyang on the wing. How are your thoughts on that evolving?
2: Um, Yeah, it's it's another one that's only about 75% convincing. Um, I think you're right. I think. Um, and again I know you've made this point a few times Lacazette's the <laughs> one who's what? <laughs> well it, it's a good point Lacazette is the only one in that attack who you'd say yeah he's performing somewhere near his best and it's because he's the only one playing in the position he actually wants to play in um, and Aubameyang, you know, is substituted quite early again, and you know, I, I wonder what's going through his head. And in one respect, that shouldn't really be the primary concern. Um, you know, the concern should be the unit and everything, but the unit's not, not quite there. I'm still not convinced by it. I, I'm going to bang this drum again. I, I still think we should play them as a front two. We should go to a back three. Um, I just think that that shape suits the players we have the best. And I've said many times why I think that. Um, but I guess if you're Emery, then maybe uh, if he's really not a fan of that system and he's thinking, well, give me a couple of transfer windows and our squad won't look like that at all. Then I can understand why he, you know, he's not exactly kind of betting on this being his long-term team. Um, I, I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced by it. I think what it, Does do Um, if we've got Lacazette and Abamyang? Just to go back to your previous question about whether you play Ramsey or Özil, if you've got Lacazette and Abamyang in the team, I think you play Özil and you sit Ramsey out because Ramsey is the kind of midfielder who who's really really valuable when you've got one striker. Um, You know, when you've got Giroud up front as the kind of single point of contact, shall we say? Ramsey's and you know we see this with like Lampard, Lampard playing off of Drogba, Ali playing off of Kane. Um, that that kind of midfielder really works when you've got two strikers I don't think you need that as much and what you need is a creator Um, and so if we're talking about a front four I think Mkhitaryan Ozil as the kind of creative presence and Aubameyang and Lacazette as the finishing presence I think that's a bit of a nicer balance Um, and I wonder if we'd get a little bit more from even on the, as a left-sided forward, if we set up like that, where we have two creative players whose job is to try and feed both of them, at the moment we've kind of got Ramsey um, veering over to the left as well, which I think is on instruction, um, don't get me wrong. And I, I understand like the, the concept of wanting to get your best players close to each other, but it, it just kind of feels like... Ramsey and Bamiang are kind of occupying the same spaces, and uh, I know again, you know, Ramsey, lovely bit of improvised skill to set a Bamiyang up. But the fact is, in that moment, they're they're standing on exactly the same spot, and it comes together really, kind of by accident. I mean, I think it's a poor decision by Ozil to pass. I think. The shot is much easier. I think he's in a better position than Ramsey, and then it's a really shit pass. Like that's a simple pass, and he really cocks it up. Unfortunately, Ramsey's. That's Stilberto
1: on Twitter. Just (laughs) if you know if if Ozology is listening, (laughs) which I'm sure he is.
2: uh, Yeah, I'm changing my dress. But you know, so. As, as much as I don't want to take anything away from the, the assist and the goal, the point is they're standing in exactly the same place, like a yard away from each other, and we just about make it work. But I just... I don't think it really does work. Um, or if we're going to do... If we're going to have Ramsey and Ozil, um, I'd be more inclined to put Ramsey on the right coming in and Ozil in the centre. I, I tend to think Ozil is one of those players you either play at number 10 or you don't bother, um, broadly speaking. And I, I just feel like maybe we wouldn't get 100% of Aubameyang still, but if we had a slightly more creative bent um, to the front four, if we tilted that balance a little bit, that we might get enough out of him to make it less of an issue.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, can I ask you this just real quick, Tim, just super quickly? I mean, we started the season with Aubameyang up front, a Awobi Mkhitaryan on either side, against Chelsea, for example. Aubameyang up front, a Awobi Mkhitaryan on either side, Um, And I realize you can't bench Ozil and Ramsey every game, although it's a fair question to ask why not if that's what's best for the team. But what I think Mm -hmm. is interesting is, and maybe it was due to the nature of the opposition, but at the start of the season, this manager felt that that setup was the way to go. And the results didn't go our way, but there were really good signs. And he hasn't really done it since. And I'm sort of curious just to get your quick thoughts on why we haven't at least seen him in periods of a game or for any of these games go back to what he was trying at the start of the season, which obviously I know we didn't get the results, but I think a lot of people were were prepared for us not to get the results in those games.
2: I think the simple answer is that Lacazette fought his way in. Um, and, and I think yeah. with some some justification he sat out the first few games but he really showed something and um made himself you know I wouldn't say indispensable at this stage but it's very difficult to make a case for taking Lacazette out and not just because he himself is playing well. I do think he's getting something out of other players as well. I, I think the more the question for me is more about Mikatarian coming out um, when I I think he's quite essential. If you're going to play that way, if you're going to play that four-two-three-one, I think Mac- Mkhitaryan is a key um, to it. So I think that's more in- where I'd be more inclined to ask the question.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Paul, I I do think we should at least at this point give some credit to Petr Cech because our ability to win this game and even stay in this game is down to him doing really well. And he was 14 and 15 on his short passes. He he made all the saves. I mean, on XG, this game was basically even about one to one and we win it two nil. You know, there's been a lot of debate about whether it should be Leno or check. Um, you, you know, I, I just think that Petr check deserves credit for doing the part of the goalkeeping job. That's most important saving shots. He's been brilliant at it. And, you know, the short passing is coming together at least a little bit. The irony is when we go long, you know, for anybody who's out there listening who moans when we when we go short and just wants us to kick it long, he's 9 of 18 on long passes uh, again today. I, I think we're, for the season, under 50% completing long kicks from check, which means the ball's coming right back at us and we're not retaining possession when he does go long. So obviously there are benefits to playing short, uh, keeping possession among them. But do you want to just quickly sort of give your thoughts on check's performance and... and you know the the start to the season that he's had.
4: Yeah, I mean uh, he's been he's a bit been a mensch about this. Um, I mean he's really uh, what, was it Lacazette who said uh, it, it takes balls to do what he's doing, um, and it does. I mean he he's had to fight his way back into respect into the number one spot, even if it was never quite vacated. He's kind of made it his own right now and put put that to bed. Um, and, I mean, it's a hell of an adaptation from him. All the while he's, you know, what he's really getting hammered for is his inability to play out from the back, but that's as much to do with his compadres around him. Um, one hopes that maybe we'll get an uptick here with Terer in place because he seems like the one guy who's super... Um, super designed to pick up the ball, turn quickly and absorb some pressure and maybe can start making everybody else look good. So, I mean, it's um, you can't do anything but have immense respect for the guy. I also think it's interesting, though, with the spotlight on him and with uh, the the applause and aplomb he's getting, uh, he couldn't help but kind of blurt out the thing about Arsenal and... Uh, how we needed to change our mentality and get back to a winning mentality which we haven 't had for I think you mentioned the fourteen years since we won a league, so that was kind of was a very interesting talking point he threw up there
1: yeah well and he and 's right, I mean certainly you know we we sometimes dismissed soft factors like mentality, but there's there 's clearly something to that I think we 've seen that over the years and you know, the, maybe that's the other thing about getting results is that bad process leading to good outcome still has one huge benefit. If it lifts confidence, if it lifts mentality and, and the players start to believe in themselves more, you know that can ultimately help you get the process going in the right direction as well if players are playing with more confidence. Um, and, and it is easy to just hand wave those kinds of factors, but they, they do play a role in the game. Um, I, I think one thing that scared the crap out of me, Andrew, and... Mustafi in general scares the crap out of me, but Mustafi without Socrates next to him uh was pretty terrifying and when Socrates went off, um I had one of my typically measured Twitter comments about it. Um but Holding came in and th- did a really nice job, really nice job not just defensively, but on the ball as well. I mean, how worried were you when Socrates went off and or Socrates went off? Um Or if Socrates went off or if you have a favorite uh Socrates insight that you want to share, that'd be fine too. Um, but how worried were you when he went off and, and how impressed were you with holding coming in?
3: I was worried because Mustafi had picked up an injury just before that, and he, he looked to be in some discomfort. Wasn't that to his testicles, uh, though? <laughs> no, that was that was later in the game where okay. he got, one <laughs> got to his testicles. And, and I think, you know, we, we can all enjoy a footballer, football to the groin, that old Simpson <laughs> classic, of course. But I was a little bit worried because when he picked up that injury, they showed a replay on the TV and it didn't look like he got, Kicked or anything like that, so it was one of those where there was seemed to be little contact. So I was worried that it, when Socrates went off, if Mustafi also had to go off, then we were in uh, in big trouble in terms of our uh, the center of our defense. And I, I, it's interesting to hear Tim talk about three at the back. I mean, we only have three center halves at this moment in time, so it's like. Well, then it's perfect. Uh,
1: three and three,
3: it fits. <laughs> three three. You know, who needs any depth? I mean, you look you you look back at last season. We had probably six or seven uh, potential candidates to play in that position. I, I know we could include Monreal in there now as a as a, a guy who could do a job if we really really needed him to. But yeah, I thought Holding did well. I thought he he did well against FC Vorskla. Uh, on the Thursday night, he was very, very tidy on the ball. In particular, he's been sort of quietly just getting on with his job. Um, and I personally, I, I would not be opposed if and when Socrates comes back to seeing a bit of Socrates and holding together in the centre of our defence. Uh, I think Emery is is probably deferring a little bit to experience in terms of his central defensive partnership. It's safe. You know, you, on paper anyway, it's safe when you leave out the 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 inevitable mistake or, or brain fart that Mustafi will have during a game. And and uh, if there's one thing that's consistent about our season so far, it's been his ability to pull that off in every single game. And even the 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 incident in which Socrates got injured came when Mustafi <laughs> got right. caught on the ball. You know, and it's, there's a great clip um, I posted on Twitter earlier. You know, Socrates is coming back, and it's basically like what. What the fuck, man! <laughs> Just get rid of the fucking. Bo- you know, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to see how Socrates and and Holding got on together. But I can see why really, he's he's choosing the the two senior men. Um, I suppose what we have to hope is that Emery is the kind of coach that, as and when a player comes in and and shows him he's he's doing the right things and can add something to the team, then he will consider him for. Uh, for a place in the team, Tim spoke about Lacazette forcing his way into the side, and maybe, you know, with the Carabao Cup game coming up on uh, Wednesday, uh, and then the, the league game on Saturday, maybe Socrates will be fit, maybe he won't. We don't have an update just yet, but maybe Holding might get a little run in the side, which might stand him in good stead and give Emery something to to think about. But it is, in general, it's an area that worries the shit out of me because <laughs> I feel like we don't really have the, the requisite depth Uh, An experience in there i know a lot of people have got high hopes for mavropanos and i you know i do too but oh we haven't seen him at all it's pure pure speculation at this point yeah we've really got no way of knowing how ready he is and my suspicion um we were talking about this um earlier today myself and and andrew allen who does our blog news (laughs) like is there some reason why mavropanos is not being included in those Uh, medical updates on the official site so they have a medical update for everybody they've got carl jenkinson they've got koscielny you know they do it every week and lauren koscielny long-term injury blah 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 there's no mention of maverapanos despite the fact that he's got supposedly got a groin injury so the logical conclusion i come to is that he doesn't have an injury and he's just not being included in the squads so uh, maybe i'm wrong but I, uh, you know, it just it just makes me wonder a little bit about how ready he is to to step in. So, hopefully, we don't have any big issue with Socrates uh, and that injury, because otherwise, I think we're uh, we're we're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, um, I mean, it could so. be
1: Nacho Monreal at center back that we could be looking at, except we don't have another left back. So, yeah. <laughs> there there are no easy choices. Yeah. I mean, for you, it, it, just stand with you just for a second. I have been of the opinion that that this whole lineup, the whole way we're trying to do this feels a little bit like what Wenger might have done, which is these are my best players and I'm going to put them all on the pitch and let them figure it mm-hmm. out to some extent. And I'm not saying that there isn't more instruction than that. And I'm not saying that Arsene Wenger never did those things. I mean, I am. I'm just trying to avoid abuse by caveating it. Um, but my my question is basically, do you feel, I mean, if <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but if you didn't know we'd changed managers and you watched this game and you saw this lineup and you saw how it was being handled, I think it would be difficult for you to deduce on your own, oh, wow, there's there's a different manager in here. We're doing things differently. Are, are you surprised that Emery has kind of just picked the biggest names and put them out there um, as opposed to maybe opting for something with a little more clearly defined roles all over the pitch?
3: Yeah, I mean, we had this question on the Ars Cast Extra, so I'm not going to um, repeat it for the sake of... Uh, yeah, because every, everyone will have
1: heard it at this point. No, well, <laughs> you know, just
3: whoever might be listening to both. But just, you know, a question that occurred to me was, um, you know, I, I take the point about time and we need to give Emory time and the process and and all that kind of stuff. But if you were to ask me, for example, was I expecting a bit more? I probably was in terms of a style, in terms of how defined the football that he wanted to play was. You know, it's it's weird, I think, to be seven games in and not really have an idea of what, what exactly it is he wants to do and how exactly it is he wants to do it. I mean, he talks a great game, and all the players talk um, very highly of what's going on, how much harder they're working, how much more instruction there is, how much more focus there is on the opposition. But I'm not sure we're necessarily seeing it on the pitch yet and maybe it is just a consequence of it being a new manager finding his feet in a new league you know developing his relationship with the players and the squad developing his communication skills as well do, I think do you that- think
1: his challenge managing big names is undermining a, a system he might want to um, install I mean you know when, when I look at those first two games Andrew I saw a much clearer system and I said I kind of see what he's trying to accomplish mm. When when Lacazette and Aubameyang and Ramsey and Ozil and Shaq are all out there, I don't see it as clearly. I mean, we know at PSG he had a really tough time because he had big personalities he had to manage, and I, I don't envy anybody who has to do that, especially with Neymar and that situation. But I mean, do you think that maybe the tactical concepts he would want to implement are being undermined by his feeling that he has to get all of the big names on the pitch?
3: Um, I don't think so. You know, I'm not sure that Ozil could be compared to Neymar, for example. I'm not. I'm not saying Ozil is the easiest guy in the world to manage. I think we've seen enough evidence uh, that that's not the case. You know, he he needs a bit of special treatment from his manager. But I'm not sure he's the guy who's going to go crying to the owner the way Neymar would if he wasn't in the team or if he wasn't allowed to take the penalties and and those kind of things. I think the Neymar situation at, at PSG was. Was absurd and remains absurd, and I think any manager uh, would find it a difficult thing to deal with because you're almost um, second place to to a player, and that that's not a healthy way to manage it. I just feel that he is trying to perhaps make up for defensive issues with. The most amount of goal threat that he can get on the pitch, and that's two 50 million pound strikers, uh, a midfielder who is well capable of scoring goals in Aaron Ramsey, and one of the Premier League's most creative players over the last three or four seasons in Mesut Ozil. But what he's got is a a striker who's not that comfortable on the left. He's got uh, a playmaker in Ozil who's being played in a position that he clearly doesn't feel that comfortable with either. That leaves him less involved. And Ramsey uh, is a guy who I'm not sure why if he was feeling like he had to indulge anyone he would have to indulge Aaron Ramsey maybe it's a an attempt to make him stay to make him feel valued and sign a new contract but maybe the other way to deal with that is to is to start lessening the reliance on on someone like Aaron Ramsey so um as a I just can't quite figure it out in terms of in terms of what he's trying to do Um, and I'm quite prepared to give it more time, of course. Um, It would be absolutely uh, churlish not to do that in any way. But I have to say, I was just expecting something a little more defined from Unai Emery um, when he came to the club. And and the way that he spoke about the way that he wants to play the game, I'm not necessarily seeing the things that he's speaking about on the pitch.
1: Yeah, and by the way, I mean, I I know Project 24 is rolling on and we're getting the wins and, and no one's undermining that. And I don't think anybody's saying we're miserable about it but for the people that say it's too early to expect to see something I mean you can look at Chelsea who I don't think have been brilliant by the way I personally don't but you can watch them and clearly see a system sorry system is unmissable so I I don't think it's expecting too much to think that a coach can come in and pretty quickly have a a clear system that you see on the pitch it doesn't necessarily have to work but you can see it I'm just not sure I'm seeing it I mean that doesn't mean it's not there. You know, I might just not be seeing it, which is entirely possible, in fact, likely. Um, so, Tim, you know, obviously, it is another win, and it gets started with Lacazette scoring that beautiful goal. I think Lacazette is an interesting one for me right now because the underlying metrics aren't brilliant, and I know there were some people that would say small sample size, can't judge. He is banging him in, though, and that's the job of a striker. I mean, at the end of the day, we know that's the job of the striker. A lot of people say, oh, we need him at center forward because of his hold-up play. I think it's kind of funny because we spent a couple of years with Olivier Giroud at center forward, who was great at the hold-up play. Um, you know, and we did see Lacazette play as our striker last season, and we saw some of the deficiencies, I mean, more so on the road than at home. But I'm kind of curious. I mean... If we just set the goals aside, and it's hard to do because some of them have been brilliant. I thought the the way he took his goal yesterday was sensational and decisive, ultimately. But, I mean, do you feel that the praise Lacazette is getting for the way he's playing is definitely warranted on the, the balance of the way he's playing? Or is it being... Overly influenced by the fact that he is getting getting the goals right now, and again, just so people don't come screaming at me, I know that's really <laughs> important. But I mean, I just find it ironic because people are like, you know, we were playing with Olivier Giroud, and everybody was like, we need a penalty box striker with pace who isn't always looking to set up other people. We need, and then mm. we we get him in Aubameyang, and now people are like, we really need Lacazette for his hold up play and the way he plays with back to goal. And I'm like, am I taking crazy pills? We tried that already. I, so so what are what, so what we helping here? <laughs>
2: I, I don't think it is actually the goals that are that are kind of getting him the praise at the moment. I think it's because um he's a bit more visible. Um I I've, I've made this uh, comparison to R- Roberto Firmino a couple of times this season that he's he's doing uh, so I don't think it's hold up play so much. I think it's I'd describe it more as link up um kind of play. So he's doing that that kind of harrying defenders from the front and you know trying trying to trying to create transitions which I happen to think is very valuable um and and actually what we've got in Lacazette at the moment and again taking your point that it's because he's the the only player that's playing in a position he wants to play in is he's kind of a bit of a creative force and a goal scoring force at the same time um which is a a little bit more than I think we're getting from some of the others so he's kind of he's helping his teammates by like helping to you know, and again, link play, not so much hold up in the way that Giroud would, you know, to compete in the air and bring the ball down with the chest and all of that. It's much more, um, I think it's a bit more along the floor, a bit smarter and a bit quicker um, than that. So I, I I, don't see that comparison so much. I mean, I, you know, I, I still think that Lacazette and Abamyang together is a perfect blend of qualities um, because you've got kind of both types of striker and they can both score and they can both to you know in their own way create not create in the sense that Mesut Ozil does but um create in the sense that um they can make things happen uh, for their teammates as well so I think I think really Lacazette and Abamyang, well certainly where Lacazette's concerned I think they, they kind of do come as a bit of a package um and Lacazette one of the reasons I think he looks much more useful this season is because Abamyang is there um And it's because I I don't think that, maybe this is true of most strikers, but I think when you you play Lacazette almost a bit like Welbeck, although I I think Lacazette's better than Welbeck, if you play Lacazette and say, right, you're the main guy, you're leading the line, we'll give you the ball, go and score a goal... He, he looks a little bit, not lost, but doesn't look as comfortable with that. Whereas when there are players around him, i.e. Abamyang, who can kind of help him with that and release that burden, not just of like psychological expectation, but in terms of the movement and moving defenders around when he's not the guy that's got three centre-halves up his backside because they've got to watch Abamyang as well. I, I think you get a lot more out of him. I think if you took Abamyang out um, and you put, say, Iwobi and Lacazette um and I don't know Mkhitaryan or Ramsey or something I I think you'd see something slightly different which is what we saw last year where the burden was absolutely on him and he looked quite lost and a lot and quite isolated a lot of the time I think Aubameyang's presence is freeing him um whether his presence is freeing a freeing Aubameyang is is another question (laughs) fair enough Um, I (laughs) I think to a degree he does because he does a lot of the work that a does you know, doesn't really do that kind of closing down um, stuff and, and the link play like Aubameyang doesn't really do that. He just likes to get on the shoulder. So I, 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 I struggle to talk about one without the other because I do kind of think that they come as a package. Yeah, Um But I don't think Lacazette is only getting credit because of the goals he's scoring. I think, you know, because everyone's scoring, really. We're sharing the goals around. I I do think there's a bit more to it.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. And I'm not trying to to pick reasons not to like Lacazette, who I Mm. like and think is very good. I mean, I think it is a debate that can be made from a lot of different angles. And ultimately, the goals settle the debate. So I acknowledge that. But, you know, when you raise the issue of Firmino, you know, you look at the weekend against Southampton and Firmino made six passes to Salah, three passes to Sané, nine to, uh, who's their, one of their fullbacks, Robertson? Is that right? Mm. Like it, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a hold-up player who's dropping in as a false nine and then delivering to overlapping players who are running into the box to create threat. You look at Lacazette against Everton, uh, let's look at this. So, one pass to Aubameyang, uh, Two passes to Ramsey, one pass to Bellerin, one to Monreal. I mean, so, and, and again, I'm not using that to, to as a stick to beat Lacazette, but I'm suggesting maybe the way we're set up, we don't have the players running in behind or running past him. Aubameyang's not close enough to him. Clearly, one pass from Lacazette to Aubameyang is not ideal. If the idea is for them to create some kind of partnership, they need to be much closer together. We've seen that they have an understanding, but they're clearly not exchanging those passes now the overlaps aren't happening we had a huge left side bias again by the way Shaka played 22 passes to Nacho Monreal and I think three to Bellerin so yeah I just wonder if if we are going to play Lacazette I am still of the opinion that Aubameyang needs to be much much closer to him to get the benefit of that hold up play Um, And obviously, this is a debate that will run and run. We can start to wind this down, um, you know, as we pick the bones out of a a 2-0 win. I think we have done a fantastic job seeing all the problems with it. So, Paul, (laughs) I will give you your your, uh, on-brand opportunity here. Tell me what are the things about this win, apart from three points and two goals, that were encouraging? Some things that happened in this game that you say, I'd like to see more of that, or I was really impressed by how we handled that situation, or something like that.
4: Well, I think that's the thing. I think there's actually some good nuggets throughout this game when you go back and look at it. Uh, There just isn't enough of them and we're not really ticking. I think what I liked most in the first half, which wasn't a very good half for us, was we were at least feisty. We were winning a lot of battles. Uh, We were actually holding our own in midfield. We just weren't converting it uh, into enough opportunities going forward Uh, and there was a lot of sloppiness. So I, I did like the Torreira-Chaka thing, I think they stay close enough to each other uh, rather than where you see Chaka and ganduzi almost kind of heading off in different directions symmetrically across the pitch. So I think one of the things to build on, I do think, you know, sometimes you, you pray for a player to come in because you think it's going to change everything and they come in and it's a big flop. Well, it wasn't a raving success. But I think there were enough of the elements of what we expected from Torreira, Uh, his battle, his winning battles, uh, how the two of them paired up, how they shared responsibilities. Um, If they'd only conclude that it's Torreira who needs to pick up the ball from our centre backs, we might really start getting somewhere. So, I mean, that was my kind of that's my hope going forward. We do more of that and that Terrera looks to find Ozil. That's the one disadvantage with Chaka on the ball. All those balls are going, typically going up the wing to Nacho or to Obama Yang, which actually paid off. I mean, you just see him spinning uh, ball after ball up there, and it seems to work pretty well. <clears throat> but Ozil, I mean, uh, uh, I'm just looking at the the highlights while we're chatting here. I mean, the number of times you can check his body language as a guy who didn't particularly enjoy that game yesterday. And I know he always has the body language things, but there are shades with those of disinterest. And there's his excited shade and there's his, I'm not enjoying this shade. Um, and he just doesn't seem to enjoy his football at the moment. Nobody's picking him out. Um, and that's partly down to him, maybe more so in this game. I think the last game, uh, he was actually pretty active running around the place looking for the ball and still nobody was finding him. So that's my frustration. And my, my bit of hope <laughs> is Torreira Chaka. I- <laughs> We, the best
1: we could get after a two-nil win from our team positive Gooner contributor was <laughs> a fifty fifty. Here's my, here's what I didn't like, but also here's what I liked. Um, two two quick questions to wrap up, Andrew. And the, the first one is just related to you know, sort of going forward. We have um, we continue this Project Twenty Four thing that uh, Scott titled, but now Clive wants credit for
3: for this by the way surely you should be selling merch
1: <laughs> for project 24 <laughs> but the problem is that you know by the time we have it made it'd be down to you know project 18 and it'd be over um, I don't want to jinx it I don't want to be the reason it doesn't doesn't come to fruition but uh, if there was something you wanted to see from us as we continue to, I think our first real big challenge on the back of of these um, eight games is Liverpool am I right in saying that, that that's how we end this is yep. Liverpool away mm. So, mm. so Andrew be- between now and that time what are the developments that you'd like to see, or maybe a single development, something in our pattern of play or in our approach that would make you feel that this period of quote unquote easy games yielded, the, yielded the benefits that you wanted to see other than the points.
3: Couple of, couple of things. First would be uh, let's play in the first half. Let's actually do something decent in the first half. We've been super cautious. We've been on the back foot too many times in, in the first half of games and, you know, it's to Unai Emery's credit that he's changed things and he's made a difference and we've done well in the second half. And that's great. But I do think that to really start to impose the way we want to play on a game from the very start, I'd really like to see us have a good first half more than once. So that would be the other thing. The, the second thing would be perhaps to to control the game the way we did at two nil yesterday um against Everton once we got two nil ahead it was all set up for them to make a comeback to to pick up the pace to have a go at us to be aggressive to maybe exploit some of the weaknesses that we definitely have because they exploited them in the first half but they didn't and they couldn't and that was because we controlled the game very well so I'd like to see a bit more of that um you know that should be something the team takes some confidence from and just sort of going back to. Uh, Maybe something Paul said earlier on about um, how we view the results versus the performances. I'm not sure players go as in depth on these things as we do. You know, they'll probably just take more confidence from winning and getting uh, a run of. Uh, games and wins under their belts a clean sheet under their belt as well you know we can pick the bones out of it they probably won't really think about it a great deal unless they have some sort of video analysis during the week where Unai Emery makes them rewatch it and maybe that's a, a motivational factor as well if you make them sit down and watch that first half uh, perhaps to avoid that kind of thing in the future they might play better so um You know, I think the players will take a lot from this little run of games. It's been a a pretty ideal run of games uh, off the back of what was not an ideal start to the season against Chelsea and, and Manchester City. So... You know, it does feel like results-wise, we're moving in the right direction. We still have some worries about the, the the process and the style and the system and all that kind of stuff. But I think they're more our worries than the team's worries, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I can't help but think: if Aubameyang puts away one or even both of those good chances he has against Chelsea, how different is so much of what we're doing now? You know, if we wind up getting a result off of him you know, putting away one of which is basically a tap-in by his standards. The other one at the near post, I think he, he can equally uh, expect himself to finish. And how different is our striker situation? How different are we looking at, you know, the, the way we're playing? Does Emery stick with the system that he started the season with? Or Are we still playing this way? I think I think it would have been fascinating, and that parallel world would be one I'd like to dip my head into and take a look at, but we can't do that. Um, I mean, I, I am a believer in the, the many worlds version of, of – uh, astrophysics or whatever it is, but we don't have to discuss that right now. In any event, um, a, a final question for you then. If you could pick the lineup for the Watford game, any, any changes that you would make, anything in particular that you'd like to see a lineup that you'd at least be curious to see tried out?
3: Uh, I suppose it depends on the fitness of Mkhitaryan, to be honest. Uh, maybe you could bring in Iwobi for one of Ramsey or Ozil, but considering we're at home as well, I don't think he's going to make any I don't think he's going to make any changes unless it's forced on him by injury. I think we'll see the same team and the same lineup.
1: Yeah, I, gosh, I Mkhitaryan is one of those players that I feel like is a real key to us getting more out of this team in I, general.
3: I find him quite frustrating in a way. I think he's really quite lightweight at times, but all of a sudden he pops up with some end product or, or creates something. Uh, I think he did it in the was it the Newcastle game or the maybe the Vorskler game where he was really quite quiet and he made a terrible pass to Iwobi and I, you know, it would have been a good chance for Iwobi and you're thinking he could do better than that. And then all of a sudden he picks the ball up and creates a goal for, for Danny Welbeck. Some people um, have sort of quipped that there's a, a touch of the Theo Walcott off him in a way. And I think that's not too far from the truth, but just in terms of providing a bit more balance to the front four, one of Iwobi or Mkhitaryan could easily come in for Ozil or Ramsey, But I just think that that as we're at home, as we've won the last game, um, I think he's going to give that another go.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I happen to really like what Mkhitaryan adds for us, and maybe it's just because I can't remember a time since Hector Bellerin's come into the squad that he's been so peripheral in the attack. And I think that Mkhitaryan's willingness to stay in that right half space and, and overlap with Bellerin and play those overlaps is something that adds a dimension to our game. And we've created a lot of chances this season when they've played together from those raids down the right and, and pullbacks towards the penalty spot and certainly against Chelsea there, we got a lot of joy out of that and we haven't really seen it when Ozil has been playing in that position so I think getting Bellerin mm. more involved in the attack depends on us bringing Mkhitaryan in but you know, I, I definitely agree that he can be sloppy Clive I think makes the good point that he sometimes makes the easy parts hard and the hard parts easy which <laughs> is you know frustrating because when he does the easy parts badly you want to pull your hair out but then he has some spectacular skill so we'll see how that goes we'll um I think we can leave it there. I mean, I think that is enough complaining about one win for, for one podcast. Certainly, hopefully, <laughs> we'll have the chance to uh, complain in midweek about a win in the uh, whatever cup it is now, Carabao Cup, and then complain against uh, about a win o- over Watford at home uh, at the weekend, and long may that continue. Uh, so in any event, here's what we'll do. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll hear about some beer. Um, Scott will come back in. We're going to focus a lot on the aubameyang La Gazette debate and and sort of take a statistical look at that obviously scott has written by the numbers section for uh arsebog so if you haven't seen that you should definitely go to arsebog and read that before listening to this so that this can all be redundant and you've heard it before uh, in any event andrew i really appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you soon
3: pleasure thanks very much
1: yeah tim's on twitter at Stilberto. by the way you can join him there and uh, uh check out his great match previews that he's doing on our, our patreon patreon.com forward slash arsenal vision uh, podcast or Arsenal, yeah, Arsenal Vision podcast—that's one. Anyway, you can find it somewhere. Tim, thanks.
2: My pleasure as always.
1: Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in my pants. He's uh, the cheery fellow who who gave us what could arguably be described as the most upbeat moments of this episode. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! When is my uh, and phone can I?
4: On? Yeah, can I echo that on Tim's um, video uh, previews? I thought they were excellent. I know I'm biased, but actually, I uh, thought thought the last one was really, really good. Personally, I thought you were out.
1: fantastic on the halftime show. By the way, so.
4: I there was, actually.
1: Yeah, and yeah. we are posting those on Patreon, but they're free for everyone. So if you don't catch them and you're curious to see how moany we were at halftime, we were very, <laughs> very moany at halftime, uh, as you can understand. Uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I wrote something. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, it's moany, but it's moany about someone that you probably want to moan about. Anyway, that's Ivan Gazidis. I wrote a, a long 1,800-word examination of Ivan Gazetis's, uh tenure at the club and whether we gained anything from it and what our reaction should be to him leaving. Uh, if you'd like to read something like that, it's on The Athletic, which is a subscription-based website, but they are awesome. They have some of the best writers in the world. Graham Hunter writes for them. Uh, Michael Goodman, the uh, managing editor of Stats Bomb, writes for them. George Qureshi, who founded The Howler, is the managing editor on the football side. And you can go to... Uh, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, and they'll give you a free trial, and they'll give you 30% off. So if you'd like to try that, actually, James, uh, Andrew, I believe you're familiar with James, also known as Gunnerblog, occasionally <laughs> oh, yeah, talk, yeah. chat with him. Okay, yeah. yeah, he writes for them as well. Uh, it really is an extraordinary website, and uh, it would be great if you would go give them a listen. So with that having been done, we're going to take a break, talk about some beer, and come back with Scott. But right now, it's time to tell you about our favorite monthly craft beer discovery club. In fact, it is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, beer52.com you're going to want to go to beer52.com forward slash vision right now the reason you're going to want to do that is you're going to get a free case of craft beer free a free case of craft beer you're even going to get a copy of ferment magazine and a snack so you're getting all that for free just pay two pounds ninety five shipping and you'll be upgraded to free next day shipping which is great eight incredible craft beers a magazine a snack no-brainer and i know all about no-brainers trust me i have no brain in any event This is a chance for you to discover some of the best beers from around the world, and right now you get to take advantage of uh, the Raise the Bar competition. Beer 52's search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with the London Craft Beer Festival. So you'll enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcars Belgian IPA, and West by 3's Mothership with Passion Fruit. It's only available in the UK, which makes me very sad, but if you live in the UK, it should make you very happy. Because by going to beer52.com forward slash vision, not only do you make us happy podcasters, but you make yourself a happy owner of free craft beer. And so that is obvious. By the way, uh, one thing we love about beer52.com, they have a five-star rating on Trustpilot. So you know you are going with a very trustworthy company. Again, the most popular monthly craft beer delivery service. So take advantage of it. Beer52.com forward slash vision. Go there right now. Get your free case of craft beer. You're going to love it. All right, we're back, and now we are going to get to the really enlightening part of the podcast. I know it has been a laugh a minute so far, but it's going to be even more uh, enjoyable and upbeat than ever. Now that Scott is here, you can find him on Twitter, O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. Hello. So um, you haven't heard the start of the podcast yet, Scott, but I want to warn you, uh, we took this 2-0 victory over Everton, and uh, we really beat the shit out of it with misery and complaining and critiquing. So... Uh, I guess that's the direction we're going to go, and I want to continue along that way uh, with you. So, Aubameyang-Lacazette. This is going to be fun. I I really want to dig into this. So, we go out and we buy Lacazette the summer of, uh, what? Yeah, last summer. Not this past summer, the one just before. And spend 50 million-some-odd pounds on him. And he comes in, and he plays pretty well, and he does well at home and not so well on the road. And then in January, we double down, and we go over 50 million pounds for Aubameyang, totally different type of striker, and even more prolific striker. And now here we are, seemingly not totally sure how to use them. There are Lacazette like, truthers out there that will tell you he is clearly the better striker and the one who should be playing center forward, and Aubameyang
3: can either play... <laughs> I'm Paul, I'm sorry, yeah, Clive. <laughs>
1: yeah, Clive, yeah. Uh, and and uh, Yang should be playing left wing or not at all, or at a minimum, they should be playing two up front. You have Yang troopers, <coughs> myself, um, who say he is the superior striker and should be starting up front at a minimum, or two up front. Then you have other people that are a little more measured, <laughs> Them who say, uh, let's see how it pans out. Right now, Obama Yang's banging them in here in this place. So I, I want to get your take, and I want to start with a little history, a little track record. Let's look at who these players were before we got them. So as far as Lacazette and Obama Yang, what kind of players did we get when we got these players?
5: Sure. Um, so I, I did spend some time pulling up the the historical stats for for both of them. Um, and Obama Yang, um, as I'm sure you're not going to be surprised. Um, looks really good especially you go back to his, his Dortmund days um, and it's a, a ridiculously good especially once he moved into the the main striker role um, so that would be you know the 2015 16 2016 17 and then you know last year before he moved to Arsenal um, he was one of probably the best strikers in the world um, averaging you know 3.8 shots per 90 um, an Xg per 90 just under 0.9 and a goals per 90 just over 0.85. So basically, you know, getting almost a, a goal, a match that he was able to pull a, a play a full minute for. Um, the other thing that to me, this is just astounding, is you look at um, where he was getting his shots off. Um, and 64 percent of his shots come from the danger zone. Um, so the danger zone the, the center of the box plus the six yard box. Um, with just 19 percent coming from one of the the two wide areas and then just 12 percent from outside of the box so um, it's you know uh, impressive to get good shot numbers it's really impressive to be able to put up good shot numbers in dangerous areas. So that is something that um, Aubameyang had. Um, so then, you know, he switches to, to Arsenal um, last year, and he still, you know, put up good numbers. So um, last year with Arsenal, he had a, an XG per 90 of 0.7, so not quite at the, the same level he was at Dortmund, but, you know, it's a you know only 1,000 minutes, so it's, you know, kind of a, a smaller sample. Um, and then you also, you know, 2.6 shots per 90, so he'd lost about a, a shot per 90 uh, with Arsenal, but was still able to put up um, 0.9 goals per 90. So he was able to actually still keep up his prolific scoring. Um, and his shooting numbers um, stayed roughly the same. Where he was shooting from last year under, under Wenger is um, 68% in the box, 16% from the wide areas, and just 10% from outside of the box. So still really impressive. So even though he did play out on the left some
1: Still getting he into those good able. positions, getting into the box, getting his shots, getting them from the locations we'd expect him to get. Maybe not at the ultra elite level he had been, but at a at a at a good level.
5: Oh, excuse me, I just had to mute for oh, a second to cough. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> I, I was like, did did I so mangle those stats that you were struck uh, dumbstruck by them, or no? Used exactly
5: there. no, yeah. but yeah. So it was impressive to be able to see him still be able to do that from the left. Um, so that's where I was, uh, you know, a little bit uh, getting some optimism from, you know, if, um, Emery was going to do the same thing, but you know, now we'd look at what he's done this year. Um, before and- you go
1: into that, would you like me to waffle for a minute so you can take a sip of water or clear your throat or something like that? Uh,
5: sure. I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah. So I'll waffle.
1: This is me waffling. Uh, and I'm adding great value. I'm contributing content here. This is a uh, professional content content contribution that I am, uh, contributing, you might say. Uh, but back to you, Scott, over to you.
5: I'm ready. All right. I'm feeling better.
1: (laughs) All right. Go for it.
5: (laughs) All right. Um, So, yeah, looking at um, last year, and it's actually surprisingly, well, maybe not surprisingly, um, for pretty close to what he was actually putting up when he was a a winger at Dortmund. Um, So, again, just not nearly as impressive. Um, So, looking back to his Dortmund days when he was on the wing with uh, Lewandowski up front, um, you know, he was at 3.1 shots per 90. 0.3 XG per 90, and 0.4 XG per 90, which is, you know, all all being said, those are still really good numbers, but they're no longer in the elite range um, that he was before. Um, And the big thing is also where he's shooting from, um, coming in from the left, from uh, Dortmund. Um, He was uh, 46% in the danger zone, 21% from the the wide boxes, and 30% outside the box. Um, And then, you know, looking at this year, Um, He's XG per 90. He's at uh, 0.3 goals per 90, 0.4, 2.6 shots per 90. So he's still getting the same shots that he did last year under Wenger. But um, where they're coming from is completely different. Um so this year he's only taken thirty six percent of his shots from in the danger zone, fourteen from wide areas, and fifty percent from outside of the box, um, which is really not the the most optimal spot to be shooting from. I know he's put in a couple of really nice goals um from outside the box, but in general those are, you know, three percent kind of shots um and not ones that you really want to be taking at a, a regular basis. Um, especially with someone who's as good at finishing as he is, I I would really like to see him try to get better with his shot locations overall
1: yeah well i mean that and that raises then the question of if he's going to get better with the shot locations does he need to be playing as a second up front or as the lone striker and in order for that to happen then maybe something has to happen with lacazette so let's take a look at him now what was lacazette what is lacazette
5: um so lacazette is a, a really good striker um just not quite on the elite level so going back to his days at lyon um let's see he was a, a 0.5 um XG per 90 and that's usually about the cutoff that you, you really want to see from a really good striker you you know a goal every other game kind of a thing and so,
1: i mean almost half of a bombing but but still and can, just to be clear these are nine per 90 stats but non penalty goal per 90 right because i know that's exactly that right, yes. uh, got a lot of penalties at uh leon
5: exactly yeah i think he had um you know 10 in the year before we bought him he had in 2015 16 and 8 in 2014 15. So yeah, he did pad a lot of his stats with with penalties, but he's still a good striker. Um so 0.5 xG per 90. Um I have him at 0.6 um goals per 90. Um you know, 2.9 shots per 90. So if you know compare that to what yang was. So yang was um 3.8 shots per 90 as a striker. Um, and Lacazette's 2.9. So That's one of the things that's really important um, as a striker is being able to get shots off. I know that should come as a a big surprise to everybody, but you want your strikers to get shots. Um, And um, Aubameyang was better, but Lacazette is still pretty good. Um, And then, you know, looking at where he's shooting from um, at Lyon, he was a a 46 percent from the the center of the bar. And so the the danger zone, 21 percent wide and 23 percent outside the box. So that's still a a pretty healthy mix of shots, you know, more coming from better spots, um, but not quite the the amazingness that was Aubameyang. And then switching to um, his time with Arsenal. um, So I have him, you know. Overall, uh, 0.5 XG per 90. So again, keeping that solid, Um, 0.6 goals per 90. So it's the exact same um, production um, that you saw at Lyon. Overall, um, taking 2.8 shots. So that's roughly the exact same that he did um before. Um so, so, but his shooting location okay, has actually sorry, yeah, gotten a lot yep. better. Oh yeah, okay. so he's gotten yep. to um fifty seven percent um inside the danger zone, twenty one percent from the wide areas, and only fourteen percent from outside the box. So he really took to Vingerball to there where he was um you know more disciplined in where he's shooting from. So that was definitely a, a positive for him as well.
1: And you'd expect in a better team, and I put better team in rockstar quotes there, you'd expect him to get his shots from slightly better locations, right? I mean at least in theory I would think. But I guess what, what you're telling me, though, is in Lacazette, we have gotten almost exactly what we bought. Um, and in Aubameyang, we bought someone who, at least statistically, was superior, not incrementally superior, but significantly superior. And in the way we are using him, we are not getting that. Now, that doesn't mean that what we're getting from Aubameyang is bad. It certainly doesn't mean that we should replace Lacazette, but it certainly indicates, at least at some level, that we bought a striker who historically had put up better numbers than Lacazette. Lacazette is putting up the numbers he has historically put up, and we are using him at striker instead of the historically superior striker. Now, I'm going to go on from there, but I'm going to stop and ask you if I am basically getting that right.
5: I think you're getting that exactly right.
1: Okay. So where I'm going to go on from there, then, is I do get a lot of pushback from people that say, Obama Yang's not physical enough. He's a counter attacking striker. You know, he's, he's a striker who fit the Dortmund style, but in the, he can't handle it in the Premier League. He, you know, we don't counter attack as much in the Premier League, or uh, he's lightweight for the Premier League. We need the hold up play Lacazette that gives us. Is there any indication, maybe XA or PPVA or you know, any other metric that you look at that validates those claims or hints at those claims, or are those claims, while potentially true, just purely anecdotal?
5: And I, I think a lot of that I think is going to go into the way that you set up your system um, more than anything. Um, I think if you are able to build your um, team around um, a bombing skill set, um, you know, some of those weaknesses can be negated. Um, so I think that you know, if you have somebody else who can be the, the outlet, and I, I don't think that he can't be an outlet because, you know, you can do um, a thing that's, you know, what what Lester always did with Jamie Vardy and just play the ball into the channels if you're just looking to to relieve pressure and let Obama Yang put center backs under pressure, chasing after some of those balls. So Especially um, with
1: the that, number of good teams now that press and leave their back line with less cover.
5: Exactly. So I don't know if you, def- you definitely need that traditional, you know, target man that'll you know, when you an aerial duel, hold it up, let everybody else come into play. Well, can, you can, can I ask you, you a can, question,
1: too, just super quick? Who has that? I, I mean, Manchester City, the all-conquering Manchester City don't have that. They have Aguero and Gabriel Jesus and Sterling and Sané and uh, You
5: could say maybe Lukaku um, yeah. kind of still fits that mold. Well, and, you know, and, he's and a, they're not exactly pulling up trees, yeah.
1: to be fair. And, and maybe you'd say, well, Giroud over at Chelsea, but we had that experience. I mean, well, I guess... If you're going to play with a hold up man striker, don't you need those players that are going to run off him and give him those those options getting into the box?
5: Exactly. You do need then you need to build your team around that. So it is it is definitely going to be a stylistic way of playing. And I think the way that Emory wants to play, he wants to build out from the back. He doesn't necessarily want to um, lump long balls to a target man and then um, have other people, you know, making that second man run off of that. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the style of play he wants to play. Um, so I don't think that that's needed. Um, and then I think, you know, you, you talked about Lacazette, and he, he has played as a number 10 or as a support striker where he does have those skills um, to drop deep. But I think you look at Arsenal's team and... That's not something that Arsenal are hurting for. We have the playmakers in the side. It's the goal scorers is where we're really hurting. You know, we have Mesut Ozil, who is traditionally one of the best, you know, creative players in the game. Um, Alex Wobey, who um, you know that he doesn't necessarily have the the end product of some of the good, um, the best guys, but he is a very good. Um, you know, creative player. You have um, Henrik Mkhitaryan who is a very good um, creative player, um, but you know, can play from the wings, but can also play in that 10 role. So I don't think that it's something that you, you that's not going to get 100% of what you want out of Lacazette. I think that he is a, a very good striker who can do a job as a you know kind of a playmaker or as a target man or to be able to get other people involved but that's not you know what you um want from necessarily your striker especially with the way that the arsenal team is built
1: and i mean to be fair he's banging them in right now and when you're a striker and you're scoring goals you keep your place and i totally get that um, exactly.
5: No, I mean, yeah, this isn't to take anything away from him. He has had a very good um, start to the season. You know, he's at 3.2 shots per 90 with a goal at 0.5 per 90. So, I mean, it's a it's a very good return on what he's doing. Um, he seems to be in good form. So I, I'm not complaining about him. I'm just saying we have one of the best strikers in the world. Let's use him. And, but this, I think it all goes back to the squad building over and over again, just the imbalance in the squad really messing up things so badly.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's it's not so much that Lacazette doesn't deserve to start at striker, but if you are going to spend the money you spend on Aubameyang and get historically an elite penalty box striker, that's where he is elite, that's why he costs what he costs, that's why you're paying him what you're paying him. If your plan is not to use him that way, then use those funds to buy an elite wide player and play that player wide, right? Or or someone that supports Locke is at its, at center forward. But buying Aubameyang for that price with those stats historically and using him in a way that doesn't get what you paid for seems silly. I mean, it's kind of like you know paying for a sports car and then taking it off roading. You know, it's still a very nice car, but you're not doing it's not doing what you paid for it anyway. There's one player we can definitely complain about that's not Lacazette or Aubameyang, and that's Mesut Ozil, at least statistically. Caveat. Um Mesut Ozil's statistics uh, are, are not where you'd like to see them. And against Everton, he once again put up a performance, at least from a creative standpoint, that is near the bottom of what we expect to see from him. This is consecutively games now where his offensive value added and passing value added have been low. His passing volume has been low. Maybe you can give us some... Uh, not just the, st- the statistics from this game, but maybe you can put into context for us why this is such a problem.
5: Sure. So um, I, I went through this, and um, I pulled up my historical data. So I have um, you know league data going back to the, the 2014-15 season. So um, that's 97 matches for uh, Mesut Ozil. Um, and the, the game that he actually had um, against Everton, so he ended up getting... Um, see the the offensive value added of 0.02 which was on the day one of our our worst players Um, just you know Mustafi was worse Um, Socrates rated lower check rated lower um, so of the players that played a, a good game, those were the only, or played a full match, those were the only players that were worse than him yeah, in this so, rating. Yeah, and Socrates
1: came off, so he doesn't even really count.
5: Exactly, yeah, I shouldn't have uh, said him, but yeah, it's, a four, it's a, another you know injury for a defender, which is exactly what Arsenal needed this time. Um, so um, looking at that, this is some a stat that's basically built for him to be awesome at. Um, I didn't do it on purpose. So I tried to, to measure all of the, the good things um, or bad things a player does. Um, and usually Mesut Ozil is one of the best at this statistic, um, and so looking at it, going back, um, this ranks as his ninety-fourth worst performance um, out of ninety-eight total. Um, in the ninety-fourth
1: out of ninety-eight.
5: That's exactly in a right. 2 0
1: so, home win. That's not encouraging.
5: <laughs> yeah, so I mean he's had a, he's had a couple worst matches. Um, some of these, you know, he didn't play a, a full ninety in, um, but this was definitely among the the worst. Um, you know, he's had, you know, matches where he puts up, you know, almost, you know, two in these and or typically, you know, his is going to be you're closer to, you know, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 um, in this. So he was way off the pace of what you'd normally expect from him.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I mean, I, I realize anytime you're critical of Mesut there are people that are going to ru- rush to his defense. And I think Mesut is one of the most talented playmakers in the game. But You can't argue with the conclusion that he's struggling right now. And you can argue with why. Maybe it's because of where he's being played. Um, Maybe it's because of things that are going on with him off the pitch. But he's struggling, and it causes Arsenal to struggle because he is really the oil that that gets the gears turning in that attack. He's not feeding Lacazette. He's not feeding Aubameyang, and that's a problem. So one of the reasons is he's not being played at the 10, and that's because Ramsey is. So let's talk about Aaron Ramsey. Is Aaron yeah, Ramsey so, doing anything that gives him the right to hold that hold on to that position over Mesut Ozil?
5: Yeah, I don't think that that Ramsey has been particularly impressive too. So this really goes back to, again, the the imbalance in the squad and how trying to put things together, um, kind of is a, a then a, a domino effect where other people are now being forced out of position as well. So you know we pushed. Um, Abamying left, and that takes out uh, a wide forward spot that could go to another player. Um, you know, then that doesn't necessarily pick that you want Mesut Ozil in the ten because you know I guess Emery's looking for someone who can lead the press, which Ramsey. Um, does a, a pretty good job for, um, but then you know you push Ozil then you push lot to the right, and that takes another spot where you can't have you know a Wobie, or you can't have Mikatari in, in the team, and it's just it's really hard to put things together. Um, so I really looked at um, the first half because um, that's where um, Ozil was staying kind of to the right, or he, it was it was tough. Did they did he not really know exactly where to play uh, with Ramsey, and it was just amazing um, how much he just kind of disappeared from the match um he only had 21 first half touches which is uh, very surprising. But again, Ramsey was one of the people that actually had less. So neither of them were really able to get into the game. And normally those two, um, you know, they may not be the the biggest one. So, you know, usually it'll be uh, Xhaka and maybe some of the center backs that have more touches than them. But they're normally typically, you know, the top three or four players, um, both of them getting heavily involved, and neither of them were able to in the first half. Um, the other thing that I was super surprised with was how few forward passes Ozil was able to make, because that's usually one of his... His forte is actually being able to, to do those really good passes, the decisive cutting passes to be able to create clear-cut chances. And he just had just five first-half um, forward passes. And that's all passes, not just completed ones. Actually, not, it's just his completed passes, which is, is bad. I think he was five of six um, on his forward passing. Um, and then he actually didn't complete any passes into the box, um, just attempted just the one. So it was very, very bad, Um and yeah, didn't create any chances and didn't even have um, any XG chain in that first half. So nothing was going through him. You know, nice. Arsenal didn't play well in that first half. And um, I think a lot of it was just that neither of their, you know, really key players and in Jacka uh, Jack Ramsey and Ozil could really get going in the match.
1: And as a result, the whole, the whole performance looks the way it does, which is a little disjointed. You don't have Ozil pulling the strings and and creating chances. You don't have Ramsey running on to second balls and and getting chances. You don't have Aubameyang showing up in the box for shots from high quality areas. The only player looking pretty good is Lacazette and Lacazette to be fair is playing in the position where he wants to be playing. But even Lacazette I thought struggled a little and you know, in a team that's not functioning right, eventually your center forward's going to struggle a a little bit too. Were there any other performances or players that stood out for you? Um, Shaka made a lot of passes. He also made quite a few mistakes early on under pressure I think this is going to be another hot debate for this season and beyond and has been even previously is this is a player who is absolutely crucial to the way we want to build play but also absolutely unable to uh, be safe with the ball under under pressure and we want to play out from the back. So what are, are we getting more benefit or more risk from from having Shaq in that role?
5: Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because, again, it, it was definitely – So he led um, Arsenal in the overall positive passing value added, but also led in the overall negative passing value added. So he does a lot of good and a lot of bad. Um, Overall, he put up a a decent game. I had him at a 0.13 for the overall offensive value added. Um, So that would be behind Bellerin, Aubameyang, Monreal, Lacazette, Um, but just ahead of Torreira. He had more passes attempted than Torreira, so that was probably a little bit to deal with that. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to actually get an idea of is it going to be Jacker or Terreira that's going to go the deepest? Because I think that Terreira is a little bit more press resistant. Um, and I think that's something, especially early in that match, and that, especially that first, like, probably 15, 20 minutes, um, Everton were, were pretty re- relentless in targeting him um, and, you know, really focusing on him when he was on the blind side, you know, back to, you know, where Arsenal were attacking. They put out a, a player coming in from the backside and putting him instantly under pressure where he couldn't turn and face um, his um, options to be able to make a forward pass. And you could see that he was very, very uncomfortable dealing with that. Um, you know, he made a, almost a, a costly mistake. He had a couple of them where he just kind of turned and, you know, fired it up the field just, you know, aimlessly. Because I think I at one point early in that first half, he was just one of five on uh, his long passes where almost nothing was coming off for him. So it's, a, it's an interesting... You know, conundrum, the Arsenal under, um, you know, when, the, when Everton did kind of drop back because, you know, they couldn't sustain that level of pressure for the entire match, he looked a lot better. And I think that is the big thing with Jacket. When given time and space, he is an amazing passer. When not given time and space, he does not make the best decisions. Um, he does not have it in his tool set to be able to, to wiggle out of pressure, to be able to break um, that first line of press um, with his feet. So I think that is something that you know we're going to need Torreira to be able to do when teams press us, um, to be able to be that outlet and to be able to um, break that press, be able to give Xhaka more time to be able to pick out the pass that he needs.
1: Really well said. Um, Before we start to let you go, were there any other statistics from this match you want to pick out or maybe just your opinions, actually, of, you know, how the system's coming together and whether you can really see the forest through the trees yet?
5: I'm, I'm still a little bit worried. So this is, you know, four wins in a row in the league, which is obviously really good. But there still hasn't really been um, an actual convincing performance. There hasn't even really been much of a, a convincing half of um, play. So I, there's still worries. I'm I'm happy to get results, but I would have liked to have seen um, more impressive um, results to be able to to show that there's a, a process to trust. Um, because right now it's looking like. We're just playing average and hoping for one of our really good attackers to have a a moment of brilliance to be able to bail us out. And luckily that's happened um, a few times. So I'm not seeing what um, Emery is building towards, which is a bit of a worry. So eh, there's still four more games left in Project 24. So hopefully by the end of that, we'll have a better idea of what is actually trying to be built towards
1: nothing would be more Arsenal than for us to win eight games on the bounce in the league, come away with 24 from 24 points and feel like the team is a shambles. That's playing terrible football. (laughs) I mean, you can't win for losing sometimes. And if you're the Arsenal coach and I, I do think Scott, that we are, we are the same people who said we'll have to be super, super patient at the beginning of the season. The irony for me was I was prepared to be super patient with poor results as long as it felt like the process made sense and we could kind of look at it and logically understand where it was taking us, I think the reason for the concern is the process, right? I mean, you look at the process and you say, we still seem pretty open defensively. We still seem to be doing a lot of horizontal passing. We have three superstars in Obama, Yang, Ramsey, and Ozil who are underperforming their historical averages. I mean, it is fair... Results aside, to worry when the process is muddy, and and I think that's where we're at. I mean, is that is that a fair summation for you?
5: Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, it's it's tough because you know you you want to be the new coach, who's supposed to come in and be ruthless, and it almost doesn't seem like he is. Because I mean, I think it's almost at this point where you almost need to to pick an eleven and say this is what's going to be. We're going to build towards that, but it's been a bit wishy washy. I think that Emery's having it still seems like he has a lot of question marks too. You know, there's been numerous halftime subs. Um, or big tactical changes, you know, after you know 60 minutes where you know things are not going right, and he really needs to go back to the drawing board. So, it's one of those things. If uh, if he had kind of committed to something, and say this is going to be my team, we're going to go with it, and you know we're going to build on it, and we're just going to try to see something through, uh, I might feel a little bit better. I mean, again, results have been great; they're getting what they need to do, but it doesn't seem like when you know the matches start to get a little bit tougher that we're going to be having a platform to build on to be able to take on those better teams.
1: And it's interesting because right before we go to uh, or host Liverpool at the Emirates on the 3rd of November, we go to Crystal Palace on the 28th of October. And that's not exactly an easy game. And we might get, you know, that that's the um, culmination of Project 24. So, you know, I mean, I, I think... You know, if we can beat Watford at home and Fulham away and Leicester at home, I mean, these are possibilities. Palace might be the one hiccup right before we go to Liverpool. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Um, But, you know, hopefully the, the process starts to match the results at a minimum. If you had to pick one or the other, I think at this point you'll take the results. So let's oh, just be happy. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah
5: okay. I, I would rather, yeah, us be you know eking out ugly wins over you know dominating the the XG table, but you know not getting points.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately, you can improve your performances, you can improve your points. Uh, my name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner Scott is on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott.
5: Yes, thank you.
1: Leave us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. Thanks for putting up with us this episode. I know we did a lot of sort of complaining. I don't know that we complained, but digging into issues in a win, but I think it's good to get our hands around what's happening other than just saying, yay, we won, and then, you know, that's the end of the podcast. Although some of you would say, I would listen to that. Why don't you do more of that? But, you know, there's a different brand for everybody. Uh, go to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Vision Podcast. I don't think that's it. Go to our Patreon. You'll find it. It's on our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and support us. Scott has some great, great, great tools on there, data that lets you make your own radars, look at all the historical data, Uh, look at performances individually. It's fantastic stuff. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Tim is doing video previews. We have an In the Spotlight coming up on Aaron Ramsey next week that's a dedicated episode just to Aaron Ramsey. That should be really interesting and potentially polarizing, Uh, and some other really exciting new projects coming up there uh, as always, we appreciate you, though, whether you listen to that or you just listen to the regular podcast. Uh, we are just super happy to have you here, and, and we love you, and thank you. So we are going to say goodbye for today, but the good news is we got a midweek game. I don't know if there's any way to watch it. I'll have to find that out. It is the Football League Cup, the Carabao Cup, Arsenal hosting Brentford. So we will come back and talk to you more after Arsenal 10. Brentford news.